Welcome to the Fringe in Review podcast. This is our second podcast in 2020 and we are at Brighton Fringe. And Brighton Fringe is calling its fringe the autumn season. Brighton Fringe normally happens in May and of course had to be postponed just like every other fringe festival in the world. Um, And here they are in the autumn. And as I sit here pondering a month of all kinds of shows, I think there's over 50 which is less than, uh, much less than usual, but more than one might imagine in these difficult times. Brighton Fringe spirit is alive and well. And we've got a couple of interesting conversations for this Fringe. Uh, in a Fringe that is a mix of, not surprisingly, online shows, some live and recorded, but also a surprisingly high number of shows in venues such as Sweet Venues, the Unitarian Church, which has been a venue in Brighton for a long time, and other spaces too. Um, and of course, Brighton Open Air Theatre has almost gone back to a sense of normal, of course, with social distancing, because it was born to be outside. And uh, in this interview, I talked to a couple of people, and the first person I chatted to was probably a fringe legend himself, which is J.D. Henshaw, who is here for the month, and um, Sweet Venues is bringing indoor theatre, and I don't know, maybe some outdoor theatre as well, uh, to you in a COVID-safe way. And I asked him what he meant by that. I guess I challenged him on the decision to bring a theatre space open uh, at these times, and he gives his uh, his strong um, answer to why not only was it necessary from a fringe kind of passion point of view, but also how they have put energy and effort and a lot of careful thought and practice following the guidelines that are necessary to make sure that people can see safe, socially distanced theatre. And a lot of people are celebrating the fact that theatre is back in the physical world. So I spoke to uh, JD and this is what he had to say. JD, JD Henshaw, it's a delight to be talking to you. And my first question to you is, when we all went into lockdown, what was the reaction at Sweet Venues headquarters that Brighton Fringe was at best postponed and Edinburgh was likely to be cancelled? Oh, we were absolutely gutted, as you can imagine. But, you know, you have to take the approach that you do the best thing by people, don't you? Otherwise, none of this really happens. It's all about performers and audiences and our crews and our team. Um, So we did it willingly because that's what everybody's doing. You all have to do your bit. But yeah, pretty crushing because yeah, your entire life is built around people. <laughs> yeah, but even then, I mean, being positive, um, you know, we talked about maybe September, October for at least Brighton Fringe. And here you are. And not only are you here, but you've reopened physical theatres, real venues. Yeah, we have. Isn't that weird? <laughs> yeah, we're doing well, it, it. Is, is it irresponsible? Sorry? Is it irresponsible or have you, do you feel right in your heart that, you know, the, these venues and the theatre world needs to be ready now and you are ready and you're ready to welcome people in? I believe absolutely that we are ready. We've done everything that needs to be done in terms of health and safety. We've done an awful lot of stuff to do with physical distancing, cleaning, messaging. There's a lot of masks. You know, I've got a very Scottish accent. We take it very seriously, as you can imagine. Um, so, yeah, and so for people that, you know, are concerned, they haven't yet stepped out, you know, maybe they've taken in an outdoor show, just describe that in detail to sort of put their mind at rest. 
what the journey when you arrive at street venues yeah okay that's not a problem um we ask that people arrive not super early but to give us at least 15 minutes to allow for queues and to allow us to look after everybody as they come into the building um we're not going to be doing printed tickets anymore um no more bits of paper getting randomly handed about obviously um so you'll have an e-ticket uh, everybody's ready to look after you that way we ask that everybody arrives with their mask on uh, you're going to be wearing your mask for the majority of your visit with us um, our bar area does have tables and table service when you're at those tables of course you can take your mask off as is with the legislation but when you're sitting in our actual performance space it will be a mask on area um, as I'm sure everybody would understand um, we're doing regular cleaning we're obviously doing track and trace because of the manner of which you book your tickets. So we've got your details. We're going to look after all of that as we always have done. Um, I mean, in some respects, interestingly enough, a lot of the things that we've always had in place will help us make a good experience seem fairly similar. Um, there will be some changes. Yeah, face masks are obviously a big thing. Hand sanitizer, hand washing, the table service all of those things to ensure that we have put enough distance so that people can still enjoy themselves but feel safe and looked after. So I know it is the tough question, but so you don't feel it's irresponsible because you're doing all the right things. You're, the health and safety is a place that you take your family to. Absolutely. Um, I don't think we're irresponsible at all. Um, I think responsibility is, in fact key and the foundation of everything that we're doing um we are in a position to reopen safely as have other businesses um pubs restaurants cafes cinemas there are other places where people are socially gathering but you know one would hope that those businesses are also operating under the same legislation and guidelines that we are and i'm sure they all are that's the whole point isn't it nobody wants anybody to have a negative experience, especially towards their health. Um, also, we do need to be in a position where artists, crew, all the supply chain, everybody involved in theatre that have not been able to make any presence, any money, get anywhere in their, you know, their lives have been on hold for a very long time, as I'm sure your listeners are more than aware. Um, the point where we're able to do that safely and responsibly on a very small scale is right now. And it does allow us to start rebuilding an arts scene for the future. We're hardly talking about big numbers coming to these shows. You know, our maximum seating is going to be 15. We're being very, very conscious of everything that needs to be done to make sure that everybody, audience, artists, crew, team members are safe at all times. Now, classic sweet venue style, that all said, that hasn't stopped a decent number of shows from all the genres coming to play at the venue this autumn season, has it? No, it hasn't. We're, we're really, I mean, how we feel about our artists has always been the same. We love them. They're the best thing in the world of why we do all of this. Um, but our gratitude to be able to share this experience moving forward with the number of shows that have felt able to do it is just extraordinary. Um, at the end of the day, we've all got to try and shine a light. Um, it's been a pretty bleak few months and being able to work with artists who are conscientious and excited and really just they're so over the moon to be able to bring some work to a live audience again. 
And it seems to have drawn upon something that Sweet has done for a long time, which is it's provided a home, not just in Brighton, but in its other venues, including Edinburgh, a home for the solo show, for the smaller show in an intimate space. Absolutely. I mean, that's always been something that we've specialised in. It's always been something that we have looked to support because that for us is very much at the heart of fringe theatre, small f, the that touring scale. Um, and right now, that is exactly the sort of performance that I think we can start rebuilding our culture sector out of because they are the most likely performers to be able to create work that is safe, that can tour, that we can actually move around in a manner that we can go, right, here are the risks. Talk us through what you're doing in your theatre location. Talk us through that audience experience. Exactly the same things we've just done in this conversation and be able to look after everybody and to try and make art happen because people need it. You know, it's it has been a difficult few months for everybody. And I think everybody needs a little bit of food for the soul. And I guess just, I guess personal to you, but also your team, that over all these years that you have made a lot of fringe and made venues happen, as soon as this became legally possible, there was no way you could not do this, was there? No, no. If we could find a way to do it properly and well, and, you know, above all, the, the words you're using are important, responsibly, we had to try and make that work. We support a lot of artists and... We know full well that they can't make that work without a space to have it housed in, a home for it. Um, it's not just four walls and a roof. Um, it's got to have a bit of love and tenderness. And uh, yeah, it was essential for us to be able to do that. Absolutely essential. And so final question, for people that haven't been to Sweet before, now they're thinking, oh, I'm looking at the online programme of Brighton Fringe. So, you know, COVID aside, what, what is that unique flavour? What is the essence of a Sweet venue? Oh, the essence of a sweet venue is genuinely the people. There's there's no other way to put it. It's We've got an amazing team, amazing artists. And do you know what? They might not realise it, but it's the amazing audiences as well. They come and they make a space become more than just where I put my stuff. It is a place where people share and love and get to engage with each other. And yeah, in these strange days, we might find ourselves physically distanced, but it never means that we need to actually be socially and emotionally distanced. And that's what makes making this sort of theatre amazing. And so the same thing that we've always done, I think, is the exact message we need right now, which is to come in, share and just revel in the company of great work and great people. J.D. Henshaw is part of what I think is a movement that probably kicked off quite early in coronavirus as a pandemic that was based around governments telling us what we couldn't do and lockdown essentially closed the arts. But quite early on when we discovered what the rules were and people were allowed to maybe mix uh, with each other say in a park very quickly actually some people were already doing socially distanced theatre then. But as permission came for the arts to open up a bit, that's where I think Brighton Fringe, the postponed Fringe from May, here in the autumn season, has got quite a large number of theatre shows that are outdoor was perhaps the first thing, but now indoor as well. So you heard what J.D. had to say. Now perhaps it's time to listen to 
interviews with a couple of fringe makers, one of whom he's chosen to do his show online, but live and interactive, based on a show that was live and interactive in the physical world. And he's performed it in Hollywood and he's performed it in Edinburgh. And now it's here in virtual format in Brighton, very much for the family, very much for the kids to get involved. And then we're going to talk uh, to a performer who is playing at Sweet Venues. So we can do a little bit of a compare and contrast here, but having seen both performers before, I can recommend both of them. But let's talk first to Peter Marino, who is doing a very unique bit of theatre online, but live at the Fringe. Peter Marino, when I first saw your adult show, it was upstairs at the Counting House in Edinburgh. Now, for our audience at the Brighton Fringe, this show is going to take on a very different format, isn't it? Uh, yes, it's coming from my what used to be my office apartment in New York City. <laughs> so can you build us a little story bridge in two parts? One is, how did the show get born and ended up as an adult version and then a, a children's version in Edinburgh? And how's it ended up in this format in Brighton? Well, uh... Let's see. Uh, actually, uh, someone who gives grants came to see the adult version, uh, someone I don't know, and then contacted me for a meeting and offered to write me a grant to go into New York City public schools to teach kids how to do their own solo shows. And since I would not really recommend anyone go into the business of solo shows. I thought that was a bad idea. I also didn't personally want to go into public schools to teach kids how to do shows because yeah. I've, I've taught in public schools plenty of times and I, I'm past that. Um, so I came back and said, well, what if I actually do a show that teaches kids how to do a show and um, he liked that idea. So the grant was made and uh, my director, McCole Biancasino, and I got together and started working on adapting the grown-up version to a kid's version. Um, the adult version is really a spoof of solo shows and also a commentary on social anxiety and um, depression, which, of course, those are not parts of the children's show. The parts that remain the same are that I'm a person who has no idea what I'm doing and I need the audience to fill me in on as much as possible and then I will create a show out of that. So that's how Show Up Kids was born. Now, yeah, go on. So, so that's the first part and then the world changed. Then the world changed and I had been scheduled to do a three-week run of the show in Hollywood uh, where I had been about a year and a half ago having a very successful time there because there are many children there. And um, uh, so this happened, COVID happened, and I had already started doing my other solo show, which I believe you saw at the Counting House in 2013 called Desperately yeah. Seeking the Exit. And I kind of learned that it's very possible to do something that's interactive. So I uh, spent about four weeks figuring out how to adapt the show, the kids show for an online version where the kids could actually participate without it becoming just a mess of noise. And we figured out how to do it. So that's what's been happening with the kids show. Now, is that a new thing for you? How does that feel like, right, so this is a new thing, a new format. There's some, there are virtues about doing it in this way. Or does it feel to you to be, well, my options were reduced to just doing it this way? 
I mean, there are a few virtues. I mean, one is that I'm reaching an audience that I never would have been able to reach before. I mean, there's nothing more exciting than, um, you know, seeing all the kids, they hold up their names and the city that they're from throughout the show. So it's cool to see kids who are in, you know, Denver, Colorado, interacting with kids from, uh, you know, London. Uh, so that's a kind of a cool thing. Um, it, it does mess around a little bit with my time schedule. You know, I try to schedule the show so that people in Los Angeles can see it at the same time as people in New York, as the same time as people in the UK. Um, the disadvantage though, is that it, it does take like twice as much energy to do the show online. And I think it's because there isn't any sort of, uh, vibration or, uh, I know that sounds very like holistic, but I think it's true. There's, you don't feel the energy of the people in the room. So you're actually working harder thinking that you're not reaching them. And, uh, when it's all over, it feels like you've done the show two or three times in a row, which mm. we're used to in Edinburgh, you know, doing two shows a day or something. But since the audience is alive and they're there, you are feeding off of the actual energy that's in the room, which you don't get from mm. the I'm going to put an accusatory question to you, um, which I don't do very often. But Peter Marino, I saw the show in the Counting House. How did it was brilliant? How did you get to be that good? It's a great question. I mean, it sort of happened out of necessity. I really do not enjoy doing the same thing more than once. Uh, I've been known to leave very well-paying off-Broadway shows after two years because I just get bored. Um, I'm also not great at memorizing lines. So I created Show Up originally to <laughs> help fill that void <laughs> of not performing and doing something that I felt comfortable doing. I think I'm also good at it because like, I'm very much in the moment. I don't really exist very well thinking about the past or the present or the future, but I'm really good in the present. So what you're witnessing whenever you see any of my, you know, improvised work is honest. And I think that that is what, uh, that's what really connects me with the audience and make them impressed because they're seeing an actual human being who's actually struggling and who's truly coming up with the next thing that comes to my brain. Mm. But also you, it's interactive, it's improvised, it really does engage the audience. There is direct involvement. And yet, no, not for one second are you unkind. No. I mean, it's still a show, you know. <laughs> you got to be kind. You got to say yes to everything. And kids give some pretty, wow, pretty out there suggestions. I mean, there was one recently where in the middle of the story I said, okay, and then what does the man do with the dog? there was a dog in the situation and a guy in a situation. What does the man do with the dog? And a kid said he shoots him. I was like, Oh no, I have to say yes to that. But I certainly don't want, I don't want to traumatize all these kids by shooting a dog. So my brain quickly pivoted and suddenly the dog was in a circus and got shot out of a cannon and then became the only dog in the world that could be shot out of a cannon. And then the dog became famous and they all lived happily ever after. Hmm. <laughs> and and in the in the imagination of your audience, you have an unlimited budget for special effects. <laughs> That's absolutely true. And it is also stretching me 
to use my imagination because I'm surrounded by buckets full of actual props and also buckets full of just household objects, spatulas, um, empty toilet paper rolls, uh, uh, packing material boxes. And I you try to utilize those as well in the show instead of just using, you know, if a kid says a horse, of course I can pull a horse out of the bucket, but it's much more interesting to pull out a, uh, a hairbrush and let the hairbrush become the horse because then I'm actually encouraging them to use their imaginations, especially at a time where kids can't really go outside and, and do things. They're able to use stuff that's around their house. Hmm. And in terms of the theater world in New York, has it opened up at all? No, it has not. There are, I mean, this is the crazy thing. The big professional theaters, Broadway theaters, uh, Lincoln Center, all the biggies, they haven't said a word. I mean, I'm, I'm drawing a broad stroke here, but there's been very little chatter about how was Broadway reopening as opposed to like, you know, in the UK where we sort of get updates all the time from Andrew Lloyd Webber and other people about experiments. There's no talk about that. But there's a ton of talk from the independent theaters downtown who have been creating work with no money forever. We are all figuring out ways to, to keep theater alive and preparing for when theaters can open by already ripping out seats and already putting seats back socially distanced. Uh, plus, um, I mean, Frigid Fridays is a show that I've been a part of. They broadcast from the theater every Friday. There's a technician in the theater and there's a host in the theater, but they are hosting from there and then redirecting the guests who are either in their house or, you know, uh, um, they have video already prepared. So it does give the sense that there's something theatrical happening. Um, of course, that's a lot easier with, a variety show than it is with any kind of play. But I, I also think that this has taught many independent theater companies how to be more resourceful, uh, how to use skills they never had before, like how to use a video camera, how to use sound, and um, finding new ways to create uh, material. So there's a plus side. So what's your invitation to the kids and the grown-ups maybe as well of the United Kingdom here also in a kind of uncertain semi-lockdown to come and see your show? Well, first of all, it's really short. Uh, it's 45 minutes. Uh, the, what's been great is getting screenshots um, or, or getting photographs from parents taking photos of their kids watching the show on the laptop and jumping up and down or covering their face or laughing. Uh, kids are guaranteed to have a good time because it's totally new. Uh, what they're seeing is totally coming out of their own imaginations. And also I'm an idiot. And what kid doesn't like to see an adult be an idiot? Mm. Finally, maybe just going deep right at the end is I have a feeling that um, we are going to come out differently um, from this. And one of the ways we're going to come out differently, it may just be in the short term, but People are getting tired of other people's scripts. So is the world going to be even more ripe for improv and improvisation when we come out of COVID? I don't know. I, I, uh, I mean, improv is something that you do have to study. And I did study for a very, very long time. And improv is something that's collaborative. Uh, so as long as folks are able to collaborate, 
Um, you know, not a lot of folks are doing solo improv, that's for sure. If folks are able to collaborate, uh, I think they could use improv as a tool to create new material. I certainly don't wish on the world um, a sudden landslide of improv shows. Um, so I just hope that people use improv as a tool, which is, I, I think, what I'm doing. And I guess I was just being a bit broader, which is that, you know, the world needs newness and the world needs collaboration. So, you know, I think I'm talking broader about a spirit of improvisation and playfulness. Ah. I'm hoping that's going to come out. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that this is, I mean, this has definitely brought people together with uh, connected people with folks they don't normally know. Uh, there's so many great online groups that have popped up as a result of, of, of the lockdown, uh, you know, like uh, teaching theater uh, groups or uh, even improv groups uh, where I'm having discussions with people that I never would have talked to before. And we're sharing ideas and sharing information and sharing updates. So that's the plus side of it. Listen, everyone, he really is brilliant. <laughs> So if you're still a little concerned, maybe very concerned about actually venturing out to physical theatre spaces, and that's your right, that's your prerogative, then Peter's show is a must-see and a must-get-involved-in for the family. And Show Up for Kids has been very well-reviewed um, all over the world in Edinburgh. Um, and so though Peter couldn't be here physically in Brighton, he is bringing it to the Fringe anyway. And Fringe Reviews reviewed his work before and can thoroughly rec recommend him. As we can, the next person I spoke to, which is Andy Thomas. And Andy's unique story is he's the history teacher who made his students laugh um, and then took that out into the public stage too. And you can get to see his political, musical, satire, comedy show, um, Des Capital. And that's on a Brighton Fringe. But that one is in a physical theatre space, in a COVID safe space, uh, which is at Sweet Venues. So if you are ready to venture out um, into the Brighton Fringe physical world theatre, then it'll be Andy's show. And Andy talks about how he makes his comedy um, and how he manages to pack his houses out, which he certainly does. Andy, Andy Thomas, welcome to the Fringe in Review podcast. Uh, can you tell us about Des, tell us about Des Capital, which is on the Brighton Fringe this year? Mm. Well, what I'm doing is a kind of best of show of um, done over the last few years in my first few Des shows called Nevermind the Cossacks. Now that's what I call music, and I'm loving Engels instead. So I'm picking um, the songs that. Um, people seem to like the most and I've added some new kind of um, uh, lockdown related jokes and moments in. So it's a 70% best of and 30% new stuff. So people that have not heard of you before, I'm sure there aren't many, but just for them, uh, tell us about your comedy. Yeah, well, I came up with the idea of Des Capital, I guess a few years ago, I've got a background in sketch shows and, double acts and I've done a few kind of musical parody type shows and then I found myself teaching a lot about communism in my sixth form teaching and I wrote some revision songs which were parodies of well-known musical artists and the students really they really liked it and they really laughed and so I thought that I would um, uh, 
try to turn it into uh, a sort of live show. Um, so uh, I came up with this character who's a, a communist crooner. Um, and it's sen- essentially it's, it's me with another name, really. Um, and so that's what I've been up to. So really. you're basically so you're a teacher who, um, in the name of education, tried out your material on your students who loved it. And that gave you the prod you needed to get out of the classroom and go to places like the Edinburgh Fringe. And I have to say, pack them in as far as I know. Yeah, it's it's been great. It's been a bit unexpected. I mean, it's quite a niche show. It's very, you know, if you like history and you're interested in communism, you don't have to be a communist. And some genuine communists are not quite sure how to take what I do because my songs get quite satirical. Um, but if you if you like history and if you like the themes of politics and totalitarianism, then it's a kind of karaoke opportunity to explore those ideas and all i know is that the people who do like it really like it and they keep coming back and bringing people with them which is fantastic and those who don't i'd probably never see them again really and and we don't have to leave our homes to watch this well i'm doing this show um actually live at sweetworks uh, yeah, with, I set uh, I set you up for that because you know for anyone that's assuming this stuff's all online, actually more than half the fringe, I think, or a good percentage of Brighton Fringe is in real theatres. COVID safe, isn't it? It is. It is absolutely real. It's in the space I normally play at. There are sort of fifteen seats sort of available, and they've all been um, uh, physically kind of distanced, and people will wear masks, and uh, there'll be lots of masks and gel. It would be uh, very safe. I mean, it's a singing show, which might some people might think, well, is that safe? But the distance I'm going to be from people and that people are going to be from each other, it's very safe. And it's an actual real show, so people can get out and they can actually experience things in a unique time period that we're in. Was there a decision point for you, Andy, where you thought, I'm going to have to do this online, or was it always going to be live? Oh, that's a really good question. I started making music videos for my songs, uh, but I didn't really do anything in lockdown. I wasn't quite sort of ready to do that. wasn't quite sure how to do that. And then uh, when the opportunity came for me to do a show like this, in a similar way that I'm doing my teaching now with limited students, I thought, well, I've got to take the opportunity for many reasons, for myself and also to show that, you know, the fringe scene is is not going to die. You know, we're not going to go away without a fight and we're going to entertain people publicly. I'm hoping you mean limited numbers of students there rather than limited students. In, in, <laughs> so in terms yeah, of, the, yeah, in terms of the show then, I mean, I guess it is going to feel different to you. Are, are you making any kind of changes to the show given that there's going to be less in the audience? They're going to be spaced apart from each other. Do you think that might impact at all? Well, I mean, the, the the kind of atmosphere I like to generate is very much a sing-along. And, you know, it's a bit like a, a concert, really. It's like a sort of, you know, history lesson sort of type concert. So I imagine that the vibe will be a bit different, which is why I've got some um, I've got some speaking moments. in. so I give a bit of a lecture at one stage on Des's 12 tips for how to actually have a revolution in lockdown. And um, I've got uh, a little section where Karl Marx has rewritten a bit of Fifty Shades of Grey. So I've got some moments of actually kind of talking and communicating with them in that way, because 
the singing, I guess, will be mostly me and people steaming up their glasses trying to follow along. It's going to be very, very strange. I can't anticipate what it will feel like, but I know that I've got to feel it, if you know what I mean. So finally, um, for Andy Thomas fans, they'll know exactly what they're going to get. But but for a potential Andy Thomas newbie, a rookie, what would your invite be to come and see Des Capital? Well, I would say if you love music, if you love history and political ideas, if you're fascinated by political ideologies and how they've changed and you love a bit of satire about the past and looking to the future, then come along and join, you know, a history lesson that maybe you've never experienced before. There's no one quite like him. And of course, it is really up to you. This is Brighton Fringe's autumn season. It runs for the whole month. It covers lots of different genres and you have the choice. And the choice is to step out of your front door and to make your decision about what COVID safe means, to venture out into indoor theatre spaces, outdoor theatre spaces that are offering fringe as they used to with modifications, with social distancing, with careful queuing, with ensuring that masks are worn in the right places. And it's your chance to get back into the physical world of fringe. But in no way a second class citizen is online fringe, live and recorded. And there's an opportunity to enjoy the fringe. Some shows are free, some shows you pay for, some shows are even interactive and live online where the kids can get involved, as you heard earlier. What kind of fringe do you want this year? The fringe is back. And we're all waiting for the emergence, whether it's due to vaccines and treatments, to a better normal state. But of course, we know the world will probably never be the same again. And there are lots of questions being asked about whether these huge growing fringes, whether that model is broken, was broken, and that we need to look at new ways of doing things in a sustainable way, in a sustainable world. But either way, Brighton Fringe is here. It was a delight to chat to my guests and uh, we'll be back soon with the Fringe in Review.